Welcome to the latest episode of Running the Race podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about First Baptist Church of Gonzales or for more episodes, head over to our website, fbcg.net slash rtr. Today's episode is a discussion of the Marxist ideology present within the Black Lives Matter organization and website. Our speakers are Dr. Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. Welcome to Episode 3 of Running the Race. I'm Jim Law, here with Alex Ray, and we launched this podcast last month as an effort to interact with some of the issues of our day. Uh, we would say on the on the outset today that we are not political commentators or economic theorists, as we're going to be looking at uh, the Black Lives Matter purpose statement, and specifically the subject of Marxism and socialism. We would say that we are pastors, and we are pastors who have been called to shepherd the flock, and so we look at this time together really as a discipleship opportunity to look at the issues of life and culture from a biblical worldview. So a massive movement, Alex, has uh, emerged in our country called Black Lives Matter. Uh, this movement really came on the scene through a hashtag about five or six years ago um, and has been received since the George Floyd um, death in Minneapolis, received by major, uh, this movement has been received by major corporations, even if only through virtual signaling. There's been a, a consent, support, professional sports on uniforms and on basketball courts, as well as academia. Uh, major city governments have embraced this movement. We've seen it by large paintings on city thoroughfares. Yeah, New um, York City, I think. Yeah, and I believe Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. as well. So this is alarming to us because, uh, as we've noted on previous um, um, sessions, that it's not what you think. Um, in this podcast series, our purpose has really been to shed some light on the commitments of Black Lives Matter in their own words. And we, so we've gone to their website, looked at their purpose statement. In our first installment, we looked at their um, uh, purpose statement, which reads, with regard to the nuclear family, we dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers uh, to work double shifts. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, mm -hmm. and immediately we, we are alert to that because of what seems to be um, an assault on the created order, and we went through that together in our first session. Uh, then we moved on to the, their embrace of the sexual revolution, where they have all of this um, LGBTQ language in their, in their purpose statement. So you have a title or a name, Black Lives Matter, and then um, the full embrace of the sexual revolution. So we went back through the 1960s to the present. Right, and what do you mean just the language itself, but also just the full acceptance of the ideology of the current LGBTQ movement. So yes. it's the language and the movement itself. Right, and, um, and so we, um, we move on today to um, something that um, surfaces as well that we believe is couched uh, through terms and uh, statements in their purpose statement. We want to discuss the political ideology that really is driving the movement, according to their founders, and because it's vastly different than uh, what this country has known uh, for the last 244 years. And so Black Lives Matter has a self-professed commitment to a Marxist agenda. The founders said that themselves. Yeah, said mm -hmm. said so themselves. But before we get to that, Alex, I just want to, you know, as well, why are we talking about this? Mm -hmm. uh, because of um, of this major upheaval in our in our country, 
uh, over race and uh, just an uh, an ideology on how we should move move forward as a country. Let's just go on record again by saying by talking about uh, Black Lives Matter organization, uh, we can say um, and believe uh, that we love all black people and still oppose this ideology. We uh, love all black people and still support law enforcement Mm -hmm. and law and order. Uh, We can love all black people and still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as the power of God and the salvation. And the answer for um, our greatest need, we can love all black lives and still desire unity in the church. And so when we come to this issue, um, just coming to the founders of this movement, three women, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, Patrice Cullors, and Patrice Cullors in a transparent interview in 2015 said, we actually, this is a quote, we actually have an ideological framework. We're trained organizers. Mm -hmm. We are trained Marxists, she said. So it, it has been demonstrated in many of the rallies that the BLM uh, has attracted uh, anarchists. Um, uh, some of the gatherings have been majorly disruptive, rebellious, uh, Marxist in their orientation. And so with that, you know, we, how would you define these terms, Alex? You know, as we look at socialism, Marxism, communism. Yeah, those are uh, really three important terms. There's something that we we've done some research on and thinking through, and and it's a very it's a pretty nuanced conversation uh, to be sure. Um, but ultimately, when you have socialism, you have communism, you have Marxism. They they do have some differences, but I think for our purposes today, we're looking at broad strokes here. And uh, one of the main uh, commonalities that they have is that uh, they they stress and they push for uh, a a public ownership. Uh, property rather than private ownership. And, and the way that works out is that they, they look at the free market capitalist system, which is something that we uh, very much live in uh, here in the United States. And they look at that system and they say, hey, there's a large disparity uh, between the rich and the poor. And the free market system very much uh, uh, favors the rich at the expense of the poor. And so that's kind of what they have in common. There are some differences that I think are maybe important, uh, that are important uh, to note. Um, uh, One of the main differences, uh, perhaps, would be that in communism, strictly speaking, uh, there is no private property, whereas in socialism, individuals can still own property. But the, but again, it's a bit nuanced. Uh, we should doing you know broad strokes here. But ultimately, what they have in common, and this is something I, I know you're familiar with, with the Communist uh, Manifesto's uh, Marx's um, uh, book or pamphlet, really. Uh, but if you if, you know, you might remember when you look at the first couple sentences, yeah, right. he he said start, he starts off the book and says that all of human history is a struggle between classes, and and the and there's they use different words for that. We'll get into that uh, uh, later. But this is a really fundamental, uh, diff, fundamentally different idea. Um, of uh, the origin of the world, or origin of human beings, what, what the nature of human beings is, uh, than a Christian uh, worldview, and so as we kind of go through our, our conversation today, that that's really uh, the that the kind of backdrop when we think we discuss these terms. Uh, um, what's going on with that? And, and so when we think about um, the these terms, we think about uh, these ideas. I was reminded as I, as I was thinking through this um, recently that there was a there was a fifth uh, century. Uh, BC um, Greek philosopher by the name of uh, Protagoras, and and he said that man is the measure of all things. And uh, if I could 
I think about that in today's world, basically this idea that, you know, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. Man is the measure of all things. That, that uh, what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you. We can't really ever talk. Yeah, that's your truth. That's my truth. Yeah, exactly. that's another perfect one as well. That, that's my truth. I have my truth. Let me tell you my truth, so on and so forth. And so I, I, I'm convinced, the more and more I think about this topic, that this ideology um, is really just kind of like a ripple effect or another uh, emanation of um, this idea that, that man is the measure uh, of all things. But when I think one of the things I'm, I'm trying to think through, Jim, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, is when we think... When we think about what what motivates the BLM organization um, as a whole to go forward in this direction, what what do you think driving them? Yeah, that's that's good, Ali. We want to be even handed in this. If I could, before I progress with that, let, let me go back to the socialism, Marxism, communism, and again, um, just a, a, in a. In a, in a general response, you know, socialism seems to be an economic emphasis on redistribution of wealth. Mm -hmm. I smiled when I read Margaret Thatcher's comment, uh, the former um, prime minister of Great Britain. She said, the problem with socialism is that sooner or later you run out of other people's money. Mm -hmm. And so that affects morale, that affects motivations. Mm -hmm. When we think of Marxism, um, you know, the takeaway is, uh, you know, just a picture of revolution, somebody wearing a beret and um, leading you know, a mass to rebel against the establishment. And we're going to look in just a few minutes just at um, how that was a, a colossal failure in the 20th century time right. and time again. And then communism, uh, it, the picture of um, just an oppressive regime that uh, sucks the life out of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, we've referred to him before, and he's come up a lot in the socialism, Marxism, communism, right. having been in the Soviet Union so it, it, he commenting, referring back to um, the um, uh, the situation under Stalin, said in the present situation, the communists have to use various disguises. So sometimes they'll use words like popular front or a dialogue with Christianity. Uh, but in the Soviet Union, this dialogue was really simple. Uh, they used machine guns and revolvers. Yeah. And so it's a, you know just a suffocation of freedom. So when we look at you know, bringing it into the contemporary uh, context here with Black Lives Matter, we want to be even-handed um, as we look at their purpose state statement. But they're a, a driven by an agenda that seems to capitalize on a grievance mindset, which is at the heart of um, socialism, Marxism, uh, Marxism, and, and communism. Yeah. What, what do you mean by grievance? Uh, well, we've been wronged. We're, we've been wronged by um, a leadership class mm -hmm. or a wealth class. And so it really, what we see in the BLM is uh, um, really taking notes from the playbook of Marx, Marxist revolutions throughout the 20th century. So, you know, I would just say that um, it's a, it's a grievance-driven movement um, mm -hmm. where we've been, you know, capitalizing on uh, the effects of... Uh, of, of pre prejudice, Jim Crow laws, and other things that have brought about a grievance mentality. Um, and so there's a rejection of the vision that Martin Luther King Jr. had, mm -hmm. namely that, um, uh, that, uh, that this can be corrected and was with regard to the legislation, civil rights legislation. And thankfully so. Yeah, yeah thankfully so. And that uh, there's a rejection of that. And here, what we're hearing in Black Lives Matter is the whole system is systemically rotten. Right. 
And that's what we're seeing on the news mm -hmm. um, for the last four months is the destruction of so many things. Yeah, so, so it's, it's more than, and it's interesting how language is used sometimes. That reminds me uh, what you were just mentioning a moment ago with Solzhenitsyn and how, how language is used, used there. There's, there's a difference between, in a, in a large country of over 300 million people, there are racist people, and racism is an awful mm -hmm. thing. There's a difference between saying that racism exists, and yes, it does. Yes. There's a difference between that and America is inherently and intrinsically and systemically racist. So in the pursuit of justice, really, there's there's injustice in it because you're, you're wrongly accusing people. Mm -hmm. um, and by declaring everything as uh, at wrong, uh, right. systemically. You know, so as believers, should we care about justice? Absolutely. I mean, Amos 5, 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a never-flowing stream. That, that was the verse that King quoted, if I'm not mistaken, in, in a number of his sermons. Um, uh, for sure, he, he quoted that. And as he's fighting for justice, he, he's using scripture to fight for that. So I think, um, you know, to look at this aspect of the Black Lives Matter organization, uh, to use the suffering of some people as a means to advance this agenda, is not just mi misplaced. I, I see it as an affront uh, to God's revealed order. Mm -hmm. And all the looting and the rioting of the last three months has not improved the life of one person, not one. Yeah, and, and when you look, when you think about uh, where the rioting's taking place, whether it's in New York or in other places, a lot of these businesses that have been torn down and and dis and destroyed in a, in a very real sense, a lot of those were, were black-owned businesses. These are small businesses, mm -hmm. uh, businesses owned by uh, owned by black people, and and uh, for an, a large number of them, they're not getting those businesses back. And so, who who's benefiting from that. Yes, right. So um, we would want to stand as followers of Jesus Christ against injustice. This world is full of injustices. Mm -hmm. And to stand uh, against it um, in the spirit of the Old Testament prophet, um, but to categorically um, uh, implicate uh, an entire group of people, um, I, I, I think that's not the path to justice. Right. And that's where I think the danger of the Marxist system comes in. Sure. Where it's a, it's a really, it, uh, we were helped, weren't we, by uh, an email received by um, church family uh, members um, mm -hmm. who, who said, uh, you know, this really is a revolution. Right. That, and, and, yeah, and, uh, and that's a really interesting word to use, uh, to be used there. We're going to see that thing come up a, a couple of times um, uh, throughout this, uh, this episode, because when you, when we think about, you know, the motivation behind the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and then we think about our motivation as well uh, in discussing this and thinking through this and wanting to be uh, faithful pastors, um, I think we want to be clear that we're not advocating for any one particular uh, yeah. party today, necessarily. We've, we've been so meticulous, uh, careful uh, to s steer clear of that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and and so, but what we are doing, though, is that we're, we're thinking through this. We, we see a very uh, formidable movement that really gained a lot of steam, as you've already highlighted. Um, and we're, we're struggling here with the implications of what they're saying and and, and very well in teaching, we're struggling to reconcile that with Scripture because uh, we we answer to Scripture. Our, our, yes. our as, as Christians, our authority is Scripture. And so when we think about um, when we think about that idea that 
Uh, I think it's important to note that to be a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that one is, quote-unquote, a conservative, like capital C, conservative. And what I mean by that, uh, I was taught by uh, Francis Schaeffer, who, uh, who said that one of the greatest injustices we do to our young people is to ask them to be conservative. Uh, Christianity isn't conservative, but revolutionary. And I think, and there's that word again. I think, I think what he means by that is that um, when we live, when we think about the spirit of the age that we live in, one that's very much not following after God, uh, then to be a revolutionary is to go against that, is to go uh, against the prevailing mindset that is very much not for God. And so to be a revolutionary would be the one to be one. Well, I think for it's God. a yeah, it's a Romans twelve one and two. We're not to be conformed to the image of this world or the ideologies of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That, that's exactly right. And so then a revolution then in this sense would be then to call people to respond to the gospel, to Paul, that, that we live, that to be a light to a dark world, to say that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that's what it means, I think, in this sense, to be a revolutionary. And so as we continue to think through that, I think it's important, though, to also um, kind of come to terms and have a better understanding of wh- how do we get here yeah. to begin with. Well, the legacy of Marxism in the 20th century um, is uh, is not a good resume. Um, you and I have spent some time this week with uh, Karl, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels um, kind of wading through the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Eastern Bloc and ultimately the Soviet Union in the latter part of the 20th century, many were saying, this is gone, it's gone forever. Well, it's it's come back with a roar. Mm-hmm. And as you look at these uh, the failed legacies, Stalin, millions uh, dead. Mm-hmm. Um, who, Mao, who, who, who that said one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic? That Stalin, either Stalin or Lenin, one, one of them. Yeah, just said that. Su- such a low view of human life and mm-hmm. freedom. And Mao, uh, Chairman Mao, uh, in the Cultural Revolution, the whole cancel culture that we're seeing right now is a precursor to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to that. You don't carry the narrative, and um, and you're just uh, you're exterminated. And then most recently, just uh, seeing Venezuela as the most recent study of Marxist failure, where this was once one of the most prosperous nations in the, in South America, it's um, a, a pauper state at, at present. So where do we see this today, Alex, as we look at um, Marxist thought in our culture? Yeah, so I think uh, that's a that's a great question. I think we see this in a number of different areas. Uh, and I think one of the main ways that we see it is that there's, there's this emphasis on victim mentality, this victim mindset. So again, we go back to what Marx said. Marx said really saw everything as a struggle between the, the oppressor class, uh, which were the bourgeoisie, and those being oppressed, which was the which was the proletariat, and so you you often maybe heard you know there there are two types of people in this world, uh, Mar- and then you know whatever it is, and, and Marx very much thought that you're either part of the oppressor class, or you're the one being oppressed, and it's very black and white, and so uh, everything is viewed through this lens, everything, every single interaction, everything ultimately in, in today's society becoming viewed that way. And so it, you're either the one being oppressed or you're the one doing the oppressing. And so, for example, um, when you consider how people talk to each other uh, when they have disagreements, um, and we see very charged language. So, so for example, it's not that uh, we might disagree with same-sex marriage, the ideas of, of same-sex marriage. It's not that you disagree with that. It's that you're a homophobe. 
It's very charged language. Um, it's not that you might disagree that the words man or woman have objective definitions. It's that you're a transphobe. And so there's this idea here of this really charged language that um, it's meant to, well, ultimately it divides, it, really, it doesn't reconcile, and, and a number of other issues as well. And we'll talk some more, I think, about this on the, on the next episode perhaps. But uh, we also see this idea of a privilege. And privilege, if someone is privileged more than you, that means they're above you. And so that, that again, has its foundations, I think, in Marxist thought. And so there's this idea of white privilege. That's a very common uh, thing that's being said a lot now. And uh, you have Robin DiAngelo's um, mm. a book that's really gone uh, haywire shit, as far as uh, Amazon charts and, and a number of companies are using it. It's called white fragility, and it's really much pu- pushing this idea. And the idea here is that because we live in a country that is intrinsically and systematically racist, and I'm choosing my words carefully there, we live in a country that's intrinsically and systematically racist, uh, and because we're white, we, we benefit from that in, in a very uh, unique way. Uh, but w- what do you think about all this, uh, this particular... Well, I think the whole concept of white privilege really is sub-civil uh, rights uh, legislation 1964, um, and that it's horrendous to categorize a group of people, regardless of the color of their skin, based upon uh, skin color, without any frame of reference of that individual's journey. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, a wrong metric completely. Mm-hmm. It's prejudicial. And uh, what what does this say to the African Americans, the black Americans who have uh, excelled and prospered uh, in the United States of America? Right. Or the Asian, uh, uh, Asians uh, as well. a large Asian population does very well in a number of different uh, ways. And are they, are they benefiting from white privilege? I mean, um, how, how did that... How did that accusation stand up in, in light of that? You know, I think that we, we need to address any injustice, that whether it's in academia, in education, mm-hmm. in the business. Uh, I had a, a conversation with a friend, um, African-American friend, who uh, was in corporate America. And just uh, his appeal to me is w- when you see uh, things that are unjust, speak out about it. Right. And so mistreatment uh, uh, needs to be vigorously opposed by uh, by believers mm-hmm. um, based upon the color of one's skin. Right. You know, I think a, a question that does come up as we look at um, this whole subject was Jesus a socialist, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, because it's often viewed as the position of, of compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go back to motivation. You know, what's the motivation of a Marxist mindset or worldview? It's, uh, you know, grievance. Right. And I think that's a bad motivation. As followers of Jesus Christ, what's our motivation? Right. Love. So we should care and mobilize for human need. We should care when people are hungry and need shelter and clothing and employment. Mm-hmm. We're to be bridge builders with regard to that and show the compassion of Christ. So if I were to ask point blank, was Jesus a socialist or a Marxist? I would say no, because the framework and worldview of both is atheistic. Mm-hmm. And so um, what about the early church? Yeah, because I've heard that one. I've seen that you know the early yeah. church uh, was socialist. Clearly, because they were getting rid of all you know they were right. selling all their stuff. And, and so Acts two forty four um, says that all who believed were together and they were had things in common and they were selling their possessions. Mm-hmm. But the idea here is that it's an imperfect tense in the Greek. It's an ongoing selling. Nobody put a gun to Barnabas' head, Barnabas's head and said, uh, "Sell this 
property and mm-hmm. give to the poor. Mm-hmm. It's a motivation. We're called to be cheerful givers, motivated out of love, not coercion. Right. And Marxism is driven by conformity through force, and that does not motivate good things. And so, when even, we, that, even that applied to the to uh, another one I've seen in addition to the church, the early church, the when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler. And tell the rich young ruler to give it, to sell all his stuff, and some might look at that and say, "We well, you know what? That's the clearly evidence of communism." Well, in that situation, I think that's a, a misplaced hermeneutic. He, he, he's just saying this guy loved his money, and he was putting his finger on his sin. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I I think something else, just by way of closure, Alex, is that um, you know, just understanding the worldview is an atheistic worldview. Mm-hmm. It's to build the Tower of Babel without God, and. Um, as um, has been noted by many, that socialism is more than an economic question or a political question. It's a spiritual question. Mm-hmm. And um, namely, who do we see in charge? Right, right. And, th- and that really ties into, uh, dovetails into this idea of w- w- what's the end game here? Uh, that when you think about this, um, what, what is the end? That's a really important question to ask. When, whenever you're evaluating a worldview or a political movement, what is the end game? If yeah. everything is achieved here, what results out of that? Yeah, and I, I was reminded of uh, the, the Marvel, uh, some of the Marvel movies. Like uh, there, there happened to be one called Endgame, and uh, and the villain of that movie, uh, a guy named Thanos, and Thanos uh, ultimately he thinks the world needs fixing, and so the reason uh, uh, the. The reasons don't matter, but he, the world needs fixing, or the universe needs fixing, rather. And in order to save the universe, in order to fix the universe, he's going to kill off half of the population of all of the universe. So he travels from, from planet to planet. He does some other stuff as well. But the but the bottom line is to go to each planet, and he kills off uh, half of the universe. And, 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 and so do, and he could then fix it. And so that, that was his idea of revolution. And so if man is the measure of all things, then how can we say that what he's doing was wrong. Right. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's a fiction, but that that aside, the, the, the idea there. And so, when we think about the end game, according to Marx, I'm, I'm not saying that Marx is Thanos. I'm just saying that when we think about the end game, the the goal, according to Marx, is is a revolution. It's a, it's a turning upside down of society. And if you, again, as you mentioned in the beginning, that the 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 purpose statement of the BLM. Uh, movement is one that rejects the nuclear family and fully embraces the radical and expanding yep. ideology of the LGBTQ movement and according again according to its founders wholly embraces uh, Marxism uh, in contrast the Bible uh, gives a very different picture of yeah. what the end game is and that's one of them that's real hope that that we do live in a broken world that you and I are contributing to that brokenness yes. because you and I are broken Sinners, yeah. um, that such a, a systemic overhaul and renovation is difficult primarily primarily because any system human, any human system consists of humans mm-hmm. and and we are broken and we are in need of a savior and Broken people do broken things. But thankfully, when we look at Revelation chapter 21, we see a beautiful picture that one day God is going to right the wrong. God is going to restore his broken creation. And it won't just be a few small improvements, but it's going to be a complete renewal. And so when I compare the end game of the BLM organization and what Scripture tells me, I see a radically different picture. picture between the two. And just uh, just in a closing thought here, Alex, that um, with, with socialism, Marxism, communism, they give unwarranted authority to the state to bring a utopia. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our life in America, our constitution, our documents has a healthy distrust of human nature. Mm-hmm. That's why there's separation of powers and our, our, our hope is not in governmental structures. But I do think it does reflect a worldview. 
mm-hmm. um, that we um, we're a fallen people. Um, Samuel Say is somebody I've been following on Twitter, and he said racial reconciliation cannot be accomplished by protesters, politicians, or pastors. Racial reconciliation can only be accomplished by the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. And praise God, He's already accomplished it, not in Washington, but in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Let's live it. Thank you, Alex. Once again, thanks for listening to today's Running the Race podcast. We hope you'll join us in a couple of weeks for our next discussion. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend who would find it helpful. Until then, you can visit www.fbcg.net for more information about our church and ministry. And again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.